Good morning, Hope Alliance Nazareth. Pastor Jim here. Uh, I wanted to take the opportunity to thank you uh, for managing the weekend worship gathering without me. Um, I am grateful to get a chance to be away with my family and be on vacation. Uh, thank you to Laura and John for manning the ship while I am gone and taking care of our congregation, which is you, this morning so that you can worship together. Uh, for the message this morning, I wanted to take the opportunity to introduce uh, my friend Paul Keitel. Uh, Paul and his wife Marion have been part of our congregation for the last year and a half or so. And I'm grateful to have them around as part of our church family and in particular friends with me and part of our community group. Uh, Paul and Marion have served as international workers with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is our uh, denomination since 1979. Uh, they served for years in um, Congo, in Republic of Guinea, and then uh, finishing off in France, which I'm sure they would love to talk with you about those experiences um, they're wonderful people. I'm so glad, like I said, for them to be part of our congregation. Um, and today, Paul is going to be closing out our series um, at the end of Numbers here, closing out our series in the wilderness. And I'm so grateful that he was willing to do this. And I wanted to let you know that you are in good hands. Uh, Paul knows the word and knows the gospel and loves Jesus and listens to the spirit. So I trusted him implicitly with this, and I hope you will listen and uh, that it will be meaningful for your heart and for the kingdom. God bless you, church. Paul, take it away. So thank you, Jim. And thank you, folks, for coming today. I know that uh, according to our tradition in America, you have other choices today. But thank you for coming and for sharing with us. And thank you, Jim, for giving me this opportunity. It's been our privilege to share with a lot of churches in our region and to get to know people in some of those churches as well. But it's really been special to us to be a part of this congregation, uh, especially during these last months where it's been a kind of shut down, hasn't it? But it's really neat. Today we're free. We don't have to have... So we're good. That's right. So let's pray together. And uh, then we'll look at Numbers 35. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence with us. I thank you that you've given us freedom in your spirit and that through Jesus Christ we can know you and know that we have that eternal inheritance that comes through Christ. Thank you for giving it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you should be seeing on the screen here a picture from the Hubble telescope. So that's much closer than when you look from your backyard. But still you can't count them. And actually many of those stars you can't see from your backyard because they're so far away. But here's the beauty of it. Many times when we look at the stars... What's our first thought? Who did it? How did that get there? Now, it doesn't look like this. Actually, most of us, it looks something like what you see in this next picture, which is kind of a backyard picture of the stars. Marion and I used to live in a village at the end of the road, literally. If you drove past our house, you would be in the rice paddy. 
And we liked going out at night and looking at the sky because there was no street lights, there were no cars going by, uh, the houses were not very bright, so there was no what we call light pollution. And it was just really, really neat to sit there and look at the stars and then listen to the kind of questions that you start asking inside of yourself. Who did it? Where is it from? What does it say? And on and on the questions go. Now, the Bible tells us that the faithfulness of God is as sure as the heavens. He's talking about the stars. What does it mean when he says, sure as the heavens? Here's what it means. My ancestors came to America in the late 1800s. When they crossed the ocean, they saw the same stars. 250 some odd years ago, when that guy came up from Philadelphia to read the Declaration of Independence in our city square here in Easton, he saw the same stars. And now if you want to go back even further, go all the way back to Abraham about 5,000 years ago. And God said to Abraham, this land is your inheritance. Everywhere you put your feet is going to belong to you, to your descendants. And that's where Abraham stopped God. I don't have any descendants. I don't even have a son. So in my language, Abraham said, so how's that going to happen? And so God told him to get out of his tent and go into the front lawn there in the wilderness of Beersheba and look up. The same stars. They don't change, which is amazing because they're not hanging on to anything up there. They're just there. Now, yes, we know about falling stars and all that kind of stuff. But you even read the book of Job, which is said to be one of the oldest characters in the Old Testament. And he talks about Orion. And he talks about the same stars and same constellations as we see today. They haven't changed. That's what the Bible means when we say, O Lord, your faithfulness is as sure as the heavens. They don't change. As we come to the conclusion of the book of Numbers, the last three chapters of Numbers, if you have a Bible, please turn to chapters 34, 35, and 36 of Numbers. This is the conclusion of this book, of the wanderings. And our pastor has been taking us through a lot of detail of things in the book of Numbers. But we come to the end of the book of Numbers and that theme keeps coming back. I am faithful. Even though we learned that there were some times when the people of God were not so faithful, God kept saying, I am faithful. Even if sometimes you're not, I am faithful. It doesn't change. It's just as big and vast as those stars in the sky, and it's just as sure. I don't change. I am faithful. 
to you. And that brings us to the last three chapters. Because in these last three chapters, we find two ways that we know the faithfulness of God. Because through these three chapters, we come back with this reoccurring theme, and God says to his people, I made a promise, I'm going to keep it. So God keeps his promise. That's one reason why we see God's faithfulness. The other thing is, I'm not going anywhere. God's presence is there. He doesn't leave. So if you could just hang on to uh, promise and presence, you've got everything we're going to talk about today. Now that made it really easy, didn't it? So you can say, well, Paul, you can just sit down. Now we got the point. Except then I'll disappoint Jim, and we don't want to disappoint your pastor, do we? He wants to know we got something. So let's go to chapter 34. Here's how we see God's promise. He says in verse 2, The Lord said to Moses, Command to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter Canaan, the land that will be allotted to you as an inheritance, remember that term, as an inheritance, will have these boundaries. And we're not going to look at all the boundaries. Just suffice it to say, in chapter 34, you have a summary of the extreme detail about the boundaries that you saw before in a previous setting, which raises a serious question. Why? So why does God have to say this again, even in the conclusion? Why does he have to again go through brief details of the county lines instead of all the details before? We heard that before. There's a reason for that. I am faithful. Sometimes you aren't. Because if he were just to take the people of Israel to the Jordan River and say, there's your land, have at it. That's your inheritance, that's your promise. Guess what? The aggressive people would get land and the not so aggressive people wouldn't have anything. And then what? He made a promise to all of the descendants of Abraham, not just the aggressive ones. He made a promise. All of it is your land, and you all are going to get something. So again, he reminds them there's going to be boundaries. Because you see, God made a promise, and he keeps it. You go to chapter 35, excuse me, 36, and you have again the story of the daughters of Zelophehad. Now we learned in a previous setting that this fact that these five daughters come into the picture is actually showing us the goodness of God. But there's something different here. First of all, I want you to know, notice, it isn't the girls coming to Moses this time. It's the leaders of the clan. So it's the uncles that are coming to Moses. And they're concerned that if these girls fall in love and marry somebody from outside of the clan, then the inheritance that was given to them goes to their husband, which means that now their inheritance gets transferred to another tribe. And so you've got land transfers going on between tribes, which is kind of going to mess things up. So what are we going to do about this? Well, he tells us in verse 6 from chapter 34, this is what the Lord commands for 
Zelophehad's daughters. They may marry anyone they please, as long as they marry within the clan of their father. Okay? No inheritance in Israel is going to transfer or pass from tribe to tribe. For every Israelite shall keep the tribal land inherited from their forefathers. Here's the concern. Somebody's going to lose out. And God's answer is, nobody's going to lose out. I made a promise. You will inherit this from your ancestors. Everybody gets a piece of the promise. Do you see what's going on? All the way back to Abraham, God made a promise. And he keeps it all the way till now. The curious thing is, if you go forward after the time of Moses, Solomon tells us in the Proverbs that the worst thing you can do is change somebody else's boundary line. And then you go to the minor prophets who come along a little bit after Solomon. And they use an illustration to show how nasty people can get who are called the children of God. The nastiness shows up because they steal somebody else's boundary markers. So why is this so important? God made a promise, and he's going to keep it. So don't mess around with God's promise. Then you move into the New Testament. What happens to the inheritance? The inheritance changes from owning property to him owning my soul and my heart. And we are told in the New Testament that the greatest inheritance we have is knowing that our sins are forgiven. That's the inheritance that changes. So that's why even in the New Testament, they could identify with a statement in the book of Psalms where I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a promise. And God keeps his promise. And so, as you think about those stars you see, remember, God makes a promise, and he keeps it. But then we see also something about the presence of God, and we see that in chapter 35. First of all, you have the towns uh, where the Levite, first of all, doesn't receive property. So the Levites are the only tribe of all the 12 tribes that do not specifically receive a piece of land. But they receive the town. So 35 verse 2, command the Israelites to give the Levites towns to live in from the inheritance the Israelites will possess and give them pasture lands around the towns. We'll stop there. Here's the deal. The Levites represent the presence of God. And because their primary duty has to do with worship and bringing people to God, they don't get land like the others do. They get the town. 
the town becomes theirs. Because now God has in every town and village a permanent representation of his presence. And then the question comes, well, what are they going to do with their, their cattle and their sheep? And if they need a little bit of land to plant some corn, what are they going to do it? They get 3,000 feet of distance between the outside of the village and the end of their property. So just about a little over half a mile. And that 3,000 feet buffer goes all the way around the village. So scholars will put it this way. They say, imagine, and I'm going to use my finger instead of a drawing or my hand, inside that circle is the village. 3,000 feet all the way around the outside is the buffer that belongs to the priests. So now, to come into the presence of God, you go through the priest's territory into the presence of God at the center. Our pastor talked to us some time ago about the tabernacle in the wilderness. And you'll remember we learned from that story that the tabernacle that Moses set up was at the very center of the camp. And then a buffer all the way around that tabernacle was for Moses, Aaron, and the other priests. So again, people come into the presence of God through the priesthood. Are you beginning to see the parallel? There's another thing that happens to this, these towns. Because we read later on that they're supposed to choose villages of refuge. Verse 6. Six of the towns you give the Levites will be cities of refuge to which each person who has killed someone may flee in addition to give them 42 other towns. Let me explain that. Their system of justice worked just a little bit different than our system of justice. They didn't have the communications we have today, and they didn't have the police force or system that we have today. So they didn't have the same kind of restraints on vengeance that we have today. So the law was very clear that if somebody intentionally killed somebody else, that was called murder. And it was pretty clear what would happen if you were accused and convicted of murder. But what happens if you're working with, a, with your friend in a field, or maybe you're traveling together and something happens and your friend is killed? The fact that you were present accuses you just by association. Now you're in trouble. You know you didn't do it. And you know that the family can take vengeance on you. What do you do? Well, there are these cities of refuge or villages of refuge. You just run to one of those villages that's closest. Remember what you're going through. When you get there, you go through the buffer that belongs to the priest and you get to the priest who lives in the town. You tell the priest your story. Now it's up to him to carry through the justice of your cause. What happens if his system is a little bit slow? What happens if he's just busy and he doesn't get around to dealing with your uh, accusations? Well, we read there, as long as you stay in the village of refuge, you're safe. But if the high priest in Jerusalem happens to die, 
while you're waiting for your case to be judged, you're forgiven. And you can read it in chapter 35. The death of the priest becomes the atonement for your guilt. Isn't that interesting? In the sense, you get off free. Because you happen to be in the presence of the priest in the village of refuge when the high priest died in your place. Here's what's going on with the descriptions of the villages of refuge and the priests in each village. God intended that his people would not forget who they belonged to. Even though they may have geographically not been in Jerusalem itself where the temple was, they're not going to forget that God is present with them. His presence sticks with them all the time. And where there is need for forgiveness... There is complete atonement. That means somebody took your place so that now you are forgiven. When God is present, he's really there. And he's not going to leave anytime soon. Just like when you look at those stars, they're always there. He's always there too which raises a question for which I don't have an answer. Maybe you do. But why is it in so many cultures of the world when people look up at night at the stars, they think of God? I made a promise. I'm going to keep it. I'm always there with you. You see what's happening? You see, the inheritance comes to us all. And with that inheritance is a promise of the constant and faithful presence of God. That's why God can say he is faithful. He's always there. So we come to Jesus, and what, is, what, what do we learn from Jesus? He talks about himself as the good shepherd. And he tells us that the good shepherd knows every one of his sheep, he knows their name. He knows their voice. They know his voice. And when he calls to them, they respond. See the presence? And then he goes on to say in that same section about the good shepherd, greater love has no man than this, than that he lays down his life for a friend. He's talking about himself. There's the atonement. It's all right there in Jesus. And in John chapter 10, when he said that, it infuriated the priests. One of the reasons was because he was taking away from them what they thought was rightly theirs. You see what's happening? He laid down his life for his sheep. Then he goes on to say later on in verse 29, he uses the illustration of, his, of the hand of God. And every sheep is sitting in the hand of God. And he says, my father who has given them to me, meaning the sheep, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the father's hand. So there's safety, there's security, there's constant presence. Because God promised it. 
I trusted Jesus as my Savior when I was very young. As a matter of fact, I don't remember the day I did it. And when I was in my early teen years, so about middle school, uh, my parents were a part of a congregation in Illinois where they constantly talked about this. You need to know the date, time, and place when you've made that decision to trust Jesus. So what is the date, time, and place? And you know, you keep hearing this as a kid and you keep saying, well, well, maybe I've got to remember that. I couldn't. So I asked my dad about it and told him what I was trying to think through. And he asked me a question. He said, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And I said, I'd go to heaven. I'd go to be with Jesus. And then he said, so how do you know that? And I said, I just do. I just know. And he said, that's good enough. You know why he said that? The Bible tells us that the spirit of Jesus talks to our spirit and confirms with us that we are children of God. You see? And that's why he goes on to say, we can know that we are children of God because his spirit confirms it with us. So we're right back to the starting point. God is so faithful that he even makes sure that you know that you know that you're a child of God. To all who believe him and have received him, to them he gives the power to be what? Children of God. You see, that's a promise. And he keeps his promise even with each one of us today. Let's pray together.